You are listening to Love Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. I'm sad about the village going because that was one of my favorite spots, but I, I, I'm excited about the changes. I mean, we need more housing in Portland. I think people were trying to encourage me to market in that negative form where these things are bad, so do this. And it never made sense to me, and it, it wasn't going to work with the way that I wanted to run or grow a business. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 274, Maine Suds airing for the first time on Sunday, December 18, 2016. Maine is home to myriad successful businesses. Today, we speak with two entrepreneurs who are creating high-quality products and contributing to community well-being. Fred Forsley is the founder and president of Shipyard Brewing Company, an organization that supports many local road races. Cindy Prince is the founder of Luhu LLC, a Maine-based company that makes and sells reusable energy-saving wool dryer balls. Thank you for joining us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information. Earlier this year, it was my pleasure to run in a couple of nice road races, which happened to be sponsored by Shipyard Brewing Company. And today I have with me Fred Forsley, who is the founder and president of Shipyard Brewing Company, the largest brewery in Maine and a national leader in the craft brew industry. He also owns a number of other food and beverage, hospitality, and real estate companies. You're just a man about town. <laughs> I guess we're lucky to have you here today. You're so busy. Well, everybody's busy, right? But it's, um, it's fun to be here. Well, everybody is busy, but I'm not sure everybody has done all of the things that you have done. I mean, this, the businesses that you own include Captain Eli's Soda, Federal Jack's, um, Restaurant and Brew Pub, the Regatta Event Center. Shipyard Brew Pub, in on Peaks Island. I mean, holy smoke. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised that you so, have enough time off that, the phone to actually have a conversation with that, me here. That ADD paid off. I, I, <laughs> I guess so. And yeah. you were born at Mercy Hospital and went to Chevrus yeah. eventually, long yeah. after you were yeah. born. Dr. Champy was the doctor that delivered me the Champy family and it's a big local oh, yes. family. And um, so, yeah, so it was Portland, Maine, July 9th, 1960. Yeah. It's a great time to be be in Maine, I think, and grow up. Well, you're looking pretty good for somebody born in 1960. Those road races. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was going to ask about that. Yeah. So tell me why it is that as someone who has these interests in real estate and, and food and brewing, why road races? Well, actually, it was funny. Joni Benoit called, Joni Benoit Samuelson called like 20 years ago and said, would you be involved? Would you be willing to be involved in a road race? 
first she said, do you know who I am? And I said, yeah, I know who you are. And we, at the time, we were just getting started with Shipyard. And um, she said, we're, I've got this idea. We're going to do a race. I got Nike excited about it. And we're, we're looking and we're wondering if you'd be involved as a beer sponsor and um, donate beer to the volunteers because a big part of the race is going to be these volunteers. And we think beer will be an exciting thing. And we're going to have some parties and that. So honestly, that she got us... And I wasn't a runner. I was a you know in high school and never never ran track. Never was excited about running. Tried to avoid running just because it you know into football and other things. But long story short, she got us excited about it, and then it just kind of grew from there. So we've been involved. Um, we're coming on the twentieth year with the Beach to Beacon. So that led the way, and then it just you know it starts from there. So I took me about ten years to actually finally then run the, the Beach to Beacon, but. In the meantime, we got excited about a number of other races, and uh, so it's a it's a great way because you get active uh, people excited, and, and everybody wants to have a beer at the end of the race. My daughter uh, married a guy from upstate New York, and there was a race up there called the Boilermaker, which they finished at the FS Matt Brewery, and they gave out uh, beer at the end of the race. And uh, mistakenly, I joked with her, if, if she was running, I'd run it. And she was, and I didn't know it. And so that's in July as well. So I ran that one. It's a 15K, which um, was the longest race I ever run at the time. And we got done and had that beer. And it was like, okay, we're going to do this. And, uh, and Bruce Forsley, my cousin and I, we, we just turned out that the Trails to Ale had been kind of down to like three or 400 runners and helped uh, the Portland Trails. And long story short we got involved in that and we you know together we've all built it up to over close to 2000 this year so it was it's kind of fun to be involved in that and that's they renamed it trails you know with the tagline trails to ale and uh so it's been fun and i think people enjoy it yeah and it's a it's a great race i mean the yeah. I, there was so much um i mean the volunteers all were very positive and it was very um, well organized yeah. and I mean it just had a really nice vibe about it so right. it, and I think that that the trail was in great shape this year too so that's true two years ago we ran and it was a lot of mud puddles and people were upset because it had rained last year this year it did it rained but it was not a drop of uh, it was like they saw one puddle in the whole thing which really is a tribute to the city of Portland and the people that take care of the trails yeah, it's it's interesting because I I grew up in Yarmouth and um, I lived in Portland briefly and I did a lot of running around Back Bay, which yeah. I'm sure that you have done some running around yeah. Back Bay as well. And it's been interesting to see how all of this has evolved and how it's really become. I mean, it was already kind of a running city from yep. that many years ago, but it's really becoming like an actual running city. And yeah. um, I, and I don't I don't know that I would have projected that. I guess right. No, Portland's be it's be I think it adds to everything else that's going on, the food scene and the the bands, the the music scene and it's it's becoming a you know, it's a great city for people to um come and experience now. So if somebody comes, we have a lot of visitors and they'll come and go, Where can I run? And when they run the back bay and they do the trails literally from the brewery back around and um they're just blown away by the, the uh the experience and how open it is and it's also becoming a great biking city, but the reality is it's kind of set up from that, and the Portland trails are a big part of that. So that's kind of why having that as a opportunity is a good thing. So when you go out and run, um, 
Tell me how that feels for you as an individual. You told me that you were really more of a football player. And yeah. You have for, become a runner. It's a real de-stressing for me. If I don't run for three or four days, I get short-tempered, and it's not a good thing. So for me, it just releases all that, you know, kind of, uh, you know, things that build up, tension that builds up by just business in general and life in general. So by running, I think it just, you know, I run for about a half an hour, 45 minutes, and it just is a way for me, my brain to just go to another place. So it's kind of fun along those lines because you don't have that, uh, it's, you get to that pot where your brain just starts daydreaming and you're sweating and just, and it's obviously healthy, but at the same time, for me, it's your mind as well because it's, you know, and you know, I have a, we have a, in Kennebunk, I live down there, and, um, you know, she can run to the beach, or you can run to, you know, along in front of the Colony Hotel, and you can just, you know, you see such beautiful sights, and at the same time, you're not feeling like you're exercise. you know, it's not painful like sometimes exercise can be. So are you more of an outdoor runner or an indoor runner? Outdoor. I really don't like treadmills. I really, it's not... If I if that's all you have and that's all you can do and you're you know you're in a situation where you gotta run on a treadmill I'll do it but I it's not my favorite um, no not not really well I'm I'm actually glad to hear that because I'm absolutely not a treadmill runner and yeah. I there's I think you couldn't get me on a treadmill unless like we were in the middle of a, an enormous concrete jungle that had no streets yeah because it just I I feel exactly the same way you do even actually even in an urban setting I would prefer to run yeah. outside. Because there's something, I think it does something different with your brain and the de-stressing thing that you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. And I, what I love about the races that take place here in Portland is that there's so many different types of scenery that we see. That, you know, you have waterfront, you have bayfront, you have inner city, and you've mm-hmm. got, you can go up to the West End and they have the big mansions and the Eastern Prom. And I mean, yeah. it's just such if a If you run very... in the morning in Portland before the cars get here, before people get here, because it's really a quiet city from like 5 to 7.30 even, um, you can run up Congress Street and, and have an experience that's just really unique because that's one of the coolest streets. If you run the whole of Congress Street, such history there and it's such a cool you know cool how that a lot of it's being brought back to life and and all of that so i uh, i find that to be really awesome in the morning i like to run in the morning too but i, I don't like running at night and just for whatever reason yeah i'm with you i'm, I'm okay. a morning running uh, person as well yeah. do you run with someone do you have a, a buddy that you run i don't know i just run by myself so i can talk to myself scream at myself that type of thing <laughs> and how do you do you train for the races that you sponsor i just try to uh i just try to stay in shape i don't train really i, w- I train by running but it's not like i've got nobody instructing me and i grew up uh you know when i went to high school there were a lot of runners there a friend of mine johnny Myers, a, a big runner and uh he's uh he has the, you know, probably has the science of training down, but he's not sharing any secrets with me. He hears this. <laughs> it is. I, I think it's fascinating. I just ran main marathon on Sunday, and I think it's interesting to watch all the different sorts of people yeah. who run. Yeah. You have the people who are really, they've got all the science behind yeah. them. Everything is very specific as to how they train. Yeah. You've got people like, they're just like, well, I've run a few miles. I'll just yeah. go out and just do it. Yeah, well, the, the the Mar family, actually, they raised over 100 and I think close to $160,000 for uh, uh, Alzheimer's um, 
uh, John Marr Sr. Um, has set up uh, with Josephine um, a foundation for, I think, involving research for um, Alzheimer's. And so they actually took this race, the marathon, and they, they had people from all over the country come as part of their family because they have a number of uh, uh, kids and grandkids. And so it was nice to see. And then uh, my daughter, uh, Jill, ran it with three of her friends in a, in a uh, this week. And we didn't sponsor anything to do with the marathon, but next year I think we'll get involved in that some more than we did. We, we helped sponsor the, the Mars Family event through uh, daughter Jill's uh, running with their group. But that was an amazing event that it just happened, the marathon. Yeah, and I the main marathon, yeah. and they've been doing it twenty five years, right? I mean, right. It's, but it's, now there seems to be it's touching more in our lives, people we know and stuff. So we may get involved in that. That that is the other aspect of running these races that I find um, interesting. That pretty much every race that I've been in lately has had some sort of charitable beneficiary. Yep. I mean, Beach to Beacon has always done this. Um, they've done a great job with and, that. Yeah. yeah, and the marathon, I think Dream Factory was their beneficiary this year. And um, it's it's interesting to run behind people who are running for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Yeah, we're getting a new race we're getting involved in is the, the Thanksgiving Day race. I'm going to feature Pumpkinhead uh, as part of our theme of group and helping them um, expand more excitement around. The, it's in the morning, 9 o'clock um, for Thanksgiving. So that's going to be another one coming up. Is that the it's one that's four. usually a yeah, USM good. race? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So we're excited about that. Well, how about this? So what What if you're not a beer drinker? What if yeah. you're not a beer drinker and, and you just... Captain Eli's Soda or uh, we, we usually get uh, Dasani Water sponsored by Coke or somebody involved like that. So there's something for everybody. Portland Pie has been a great partner. Um especially the uh, trails to ale being giving out free pizza at the end and uh, so that, who doesn't love pizza right unless you're they even have gluten-free pizza so um, but they've been a great partner with that uh, the, the, the trails to ale race every year they've done fundraisers promoting the race at their locations and been involved in that so yeah if you don't like beer uh, we have an ice pick vodka. We haven't brought that to the race yet, though. So that's gluten free. I tell you. So if we don't like to drink at all alcohol. Then you know, Captain Eli's. If you don't like soda, we have Dasani water. If you don't drink at all anything, well, pizza. There you go. There you go. There's there's something for everyone there. Yeah. What is it about the the race day itself, uh, the spirit of the race that that yeah. kind of captures I your? A, I thought energy. about actually thought about that this morning. Running it, you get to run in the middle of the street. Right? How often do you get to run in the middle of the street? The Beach to Beacon, when you're running, um, you turn that corner and you run by the IGA there, and uh, you see that big flag that the, the uh, firemen have out the Cape, and you run under that, and you're in the middle of the street. I mean, you flash back to that in the middle of the winter when you're driving out there. I mean, it's just a powerful, powerful thing. And then people playing music when you're going by and people cheering. And I think it just adds to that whole uh, euphoric feeling, except in the beach to beacon, you're, if you're a little hot or the shipyard half marathon, when you're really getting hot and you're seeing people drop, that's a little, a little discouraging, even when they're playing music that are going by. But um, next year, we hope to get more people involved as, as participants on the sides playing music and on the on the half marathon because I think music a lot of times can really get you fired up and, and, and you're running in the middle of the street in an area you'd never be able to run, you know, so... You know, you run down Commercial Street on the takeoff of uh, 
the half marathon, the shipyard half marathon was it this year was July 9th. But the the thing is, is when you have that many people, five thousand people, ten thousand people with a beach to beacon, it's just you know you're seeing hundreds of people that you really you might run into one or two people you know, but you just realize how big the world, the running world is. It's kind of it's fun, you know. And you've got I mean the beach beacon have world class runners, and then you get you know people that are running first time. So. I also ran the shipyard half marathon, and um, and I also thought that that was that was really it was fun to run down Commercial Street, and I loved that there was music under the bridge, yeah, like going yeah. across to South yeah. Portland. It, it was kind of a weird song that was playing when I went by, but yeah. but it does it kind of gets you. We want to have more of that. We want to try to get sponsors or somebody to do like five or six of those because when you have people involved, like the, the Boilermaker in upstate New York, they have like different towns have themes within their neighborhoods that they've done for years and they kind of get really charged up to be there and it comes a little party on the sidelines. So there was a large, some groups up near Main Med too when we were running by there on that. It was kind of cool to run through there. And um, But yeah, that's, that's fun. Yeah, that Go buy Ruskies and get the guys coming out. Yes, that was also fun. It's a good stop for a shipyard there, but that might slow you down a little bit. And it's also fun to be with people who specifically come to Maine for these events. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think that's amazing that yeah. people will be running. Even some of the people would do like the 50, yeah. 50 halves every I state. Have a, I have a friend from Amsterdam. He signed up two times for the uh, Hans. He, he keeps saying he's going to come. He, signed, he hasn't come yet, but eventually he'll come and run the, you know, the shipyard half marathon, so we'll see. So what is it about these longer distances that um, you think is drawing people in? Because, I mean, I think the Boston Marathon, you actually have to apply. There are cut times, and they filled mm. within two weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy People yeah. that people want to go out and subject themselves to marathons, half marathons. Yeah, and you hear about these trail runners going 50 miles, and um, we, we've sponsored some teams that have running the Ragnar races that go, you know, through the night and they're in a bus with 12 people. And um, But the reality is I think it's just that camaraderie. And, you know, after high school or college, if you played sports or if you were involved in activities there, and then there's nothing after that as far as groups, I think, you know, that's um, – that's why it's a it's kind of a club you can belong to. I'm a runner, and and uh, in Florida we have uh, in Clearwater we have the Sea Dog Brew Pub, and it's um, the running club has kind of adopted our tasting room, and they'll do a run and finish there. Federal Jacks, there's been a group of runners. There, most of them are over 65, and they I guess whether it's a Tuesday or a Wednesday, but once a week they all they'll end there and um, have have uh, beers after their runs. So it's, it's a, you know, I think even though it's an independent, um, you know, you're, it's an individual sport, it's, it's kind of like, hey, are you doing it? Are you doing it? And then people will team up. And um, so it is, it is kind of cool. I, um, you know, we have a group of uh, people at the brewery that, you know, anybody that wants to run any of the races we sponsor will give them a free entry and they'll, you know, we've at times it's peaked at you know ten, twelve people, and then it fluctuates. So we try to suck in people. That, the half marathon was brutal on a, fru- a few, a few of them last year. The hot one that was a tough one. We lost, the, we lost one driver. He, I think he quit after that. Oh, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Well, <laughs> he's not. Anyways, it's it is fun though because you get to get you know after we'll go to. You know the porthole after full full lunch after the half marathon, and then you know after you've, the party kicks, you know f- finishes up, and it's just you know it's like anything you do. Why do people climb mountains? I guess you know it's like, which I'm not going to get into that. 
<laughs> That's a different show. We'll talk yeah, about yeah, that yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we've done the same thing. And I think um, because Maine Magazine has also been yeah. sponsoring some of these races. And so we'll get bibs that come in as part of the team. And some people, they want to do the 5K color run. Some people will sign up for the half marathon. Right. And it actually becomes kind of aspirational for people. You know, yeah. someone who maybe did last year, did yeah. a 5K, you know, works their way up to a 10K. And yeah. then um, one of our... Um, sales guys Jeff D'Amico he actually came and watched me do the marathon this you weekend inspired him and it's it's great yeah. it's really so great because it more. all kind of comes around yeah. you know you support people on wherever they're coming from and then they come back and they support you as well yeah the Reale family that owned the Village Cafe they had a tradition of and Thanksgiving Day race they would have all all their friends over to the village after that race and when that ended um they, they moved over to the brewery, so their friends and family will come after that race, and you'll see all next the next, next generation of runners now coming over. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I also like that you mentioned running with your daughter in the yeah. in the Boilermaker. Yeah, and um, and I ran with my son in the marathon, and he's 23. So it's it's actually really nice to be able to go out and yeah. and be with your kids for some prolonged period of time where you're not really on your phone yeah. and. You're just moving forward, just having a conversation. I mean, it's a really different and kind of special atmosphere. Definitely, yeah. And So I'm interested, you talk about the Village Cafe, and because I'm from Maine also, I've ate there many, many times. How do you feel about all the changes that have happened in your home city? Well, I'm sad about the Village going because that was one of my favorite spots, but I'm excited about the changes. I mean, we need more housing in Portland, whether it's, high-end condos or affordable housing or you know workforce housing and I'm somebody who loves the fact that we have these new hotels and I think we're going to see a lot people want to visit Portland in the middle of July and August you can't get a place to stay you know it's literally you have people in you know staying out out of the city saying how can I get to the peninsula because that's where you know that's where people want to be when they're from away and they and they want to experience the city you know and Portland was always a working harbor, you know. We it was never a place where people, you know, the beautiful sailboats were 30 years ago, 40 years ago because it was a, you know, in the old days if you grew up here, you remember the sardine, the factory on the other side that basically smelled and it was a there was a lot of odors on Commercial Street in the in the 50s and 60s and and even into the 70s and traffic was going 18 different ways on Commercial Street. And uh, I would go pick up food at Car Brothers for my, our parents' uh, uh, veterans' home, and uh, you know you'd, you'd have to be good at you know wheeling in there and missing all the uh, truck traffic, you know. So today, I think Portland's becoming a livable tourist town um, and a business town. So you get people that'll come. I had a friend come and stay in Portland, and uh, the, you know he'd never been to Maine, into Portland to visit. He'd been to Bar Harbor, been to Kennebunkport, been to Camden. But uh, and he grew up in a hotel family, and long story short, he's like, I can't believe I can't get a hotel room for less than $400 on this weekend. It was like you know, the middle of July. And I said, you know, come up, build another hotel, because we need more. And I, I, I honestly believe that we're going to see another six, 700 hotel rooms and another couple thousand apartments. And I think it'll be a vibrant city for everybody, you know. I mean, with USM's extended living program and 
I think the USM, um, you know, Glenn Cummings, I think is a breath of fresh air to uh, USM. I think it's a great resource for people buying condos here. But I also think you need more housing stocks so that affordable apartments are available. So some, it's funny, people get upset with condos, but the reality is without those, you're not going to have, you know, some of the other other places available for affordable housing for everybody. And um, I just think there's so much potential in Portland to be a great small city. Um, our, air, our airport with the infrastructure build out that they have there, it's getting easier and easier to get in and out of Portland. And I think if we're going to have jobs for our young people, we need to maximize what's going on. And that's the second home and tourism industry as well as the education part of the city of Portland and then the medical part. And without more housing, you're not going to, you're not going to get it. So how do you, um, balance all mm. of the things that you do? And mm. in, in 2009, the main state chamber of commerce honored you with a president's recognition award. And in 2015, you received Sugarloaf Summiteer award for your continuous commitment to mm. giving back to the cancer community in Maine. And then this is only, I'm only reading bits and pieces of the things <laughs> yeah. that you've done in yeah. Maine and for Maine, but you seem like you really do have yeah. a lot of different loves that you're kind of nurturing. Yeah, we have great people around me, I guess, as, the, as a company. We have great people, great family. And uh, so it's, you know, behind every great man, there's a great woman kicking him square in the ass. Well, no, it's just a joke, just a joke. My wife, Judy's been um, a great, uh, a great partner and, uh, she, she's a CPA and very focused on detail, which I'm not a detail person. Um, Alan Pugsley, uh, Bruce Forsley, uh, Paul Hendry, we have 50 brewers, so for the beer side, that, and then you know Jim Bunting on the restaurant side, Fred Heyman. There's a list that goes on and on. We employ close to 900 people in the state of Maine. So I think people that, uh, luckily, we've had a lot of great people that work for us, and I you know, I feel like that's you know that's the big thing that helps drive a lot of this. If it wasn't for the young energy in our company, we wouldn't be trying to do a lot of things. We you know I've just uh, just hired a young kid, Woody uh, uh, and uh, Matt Bowden, both in the company. Matt's been with us five years out of Orono. He was living in uh, Orlando, moved home. He's training. Uh, uh, young man Woody who's just moving to Orlando to sell but he knows Maine culture he knows our beers from being here and and he's gonna you know spread spread the love of Maine in in Orlando and you know we have a number of Mainers working for us in other parts of the country because they understand our culture our work ethic and that's that's what's helped spread the love like you are (laughs) well what do you see for 2017 what's what's coming up in the future um we're we're doing a lot in um, in like people think when you're in Florida you're not really helping Maine but um, we're going to be releasing a beer in in Florida that's going to be brewed that it is brewed in Maine and um, uh, Island Time and that's happening in uh, November and December but we're doing a brew pub in uh, uh, Treasure Island which is just outside of St Pete um, and that'll have a Maine connection that's happening next year and then I'm actually involved in a in a um, a market uh, concept in Travis City, Michigan, which will have a lot of Maine uh, flair. We're leveraging our brands. So we're trying to grow the Maine brand throughout the country. We've all of a sudden hit it in the UK with uh, the Maine brand, and we've done a collaboration with Marston's, and we're, we're, we're selling throughout the, the um, uh, 
United Kingdom in a variety of locations. So that's kind of exciting for us. Uh, we're continuing to invest in the brewery in Portland. Um, we're trying to, uh, a lot of the, the investments you can't see, but recently we just reopened the tasting room and uh, spent over $200,000 upgrading everything. And that experience is really cool. And uh, Irina and the team in the store does a great job, um, you know, in these cruise ships when people come in off that. This weekend you couldn't get in the door because it was just uh, it's amazing how many people are visiting. So the tasting room is something we're going to keep encouraging. And then, you know, just growing the brand um, in Maine. We're, uh, next Tuesday we're having a, a celebration, um, uh, October 11th up in Camden. We just opened up a new Sea Dog there. We've renovated, so that's, you know, exciting. and. We're, you know, looking to continue to keep uh, growing with our key partners. We love the fact that we have a relationship with Sugarloaf. You have the brew pub up there, and we we, we sell and promote through all of that. And uh, Sunny River, and you know, at the at the Sea Dogs, we have a great relationship there. So keep keep expanding upon that. The Ice Pick Vodka is distilled um, in New Hampshire with. We're using New England uh, distilled water, um, but a great partner that we're dealing with. So we're going to expand in New England selling that. And we're going to um, keep growing uh, with the relationships in the spirits industry. We're, we're looking at putting a, uh, we have a key relationship with a uh, Strout Water Distillery in which we may distill and uh, produce products with them and help promote their location down there. They've done a great job. Jeff uh, down there has done a great job. So we also have a relationship where we're distilling pumpkin head into whiskey um, with Stuart Littlefield up in Oxford, Maine, which is kind of exciting because Stuart used to have uh, used to have his location on India Street here um, and uh, with Food Works. He created it and he moved up to Oxford and he has distillery and um, he does a lot of cool food products, but he's taking some pumpkin head and creating a whiskey out of it. So we're going to age that. And so we keep going with those types of things, and we'll keep running to try to stay in shape. Well, I look forward to running in the events that you sponsor again. Yeah. I've been speaking with Fred Forsley, who is the founder and president of Shipyard Brewing Company and um, obviously is well-connected within Maine for many things, but um, including but not limited to the road races that I have yeah. run this year. So thank you. And I guess I'll see you out there on the trails. Maybe and thanks thanks, for coming Thanksgiving in. morning. <laughs> That's right. Yes, thank you. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants, The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch Lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy big stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit theroomsportland.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Main Radio. Portland Art Gallery is Portland's largest gallery and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space. The current show schedule includes Nancy Simmons, Elizabeth Hoy, and many more. For complete show details, please visit our website, artcollectormaine.com. Today in the studio, I have with me Cindy Prince, who is the founder of Luhu LLC, a Maine-based company that makes and sells Luhu Wool Dryer Balls, a reusable energy-saving alternative to dryer sheets. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. What's interesting, I think, about your story is that you're doing something that's very practical for 
um, all of us really, but you're, you're doing this with a, a larger idea in mind. Before we talk about that, what is a Luhu dryer ball? <laughs> well, a Luhu dryer ball, wool dryer ball, is a reusable energy saving alternative to a dryer sheet. And it's basically just a, a ball of wool. And you toss several of them into your dryer. And what it does is it helps circulate and separate your laundry more efficiently. And so you're going to get better airflow around the wet lumps of clothes in your dryer. And so you'll end up reducing your dry time that way. And then also with the action of the balls against your wet laundry, uh, you're going to see softening as well. So it, it eliminates the need for dryer sheets, which add that chemical soft uh, materials onto your clothes to soften them and so we're able just to have that natural natural alternative for for your dryer. I think I first read about um, this type of approach to laundry maybe in a Chinaberry catalog maybe like 15 years ago 20 years ago something like that and mm -hmm. I never had I never decided oh I should order this but I was at I believe our local natural food store and I saw your product on the counter and I said okay now's the time now's the time to experiment with these and it, it seemed like such a simple concept but it really does work it does it does it is so simple and I think that's one of the things that I loved about it at first it, um, it just to be able to take something so basic but to add it to your laundry in order to just be able to create these same effects that you're creating with using dryer sheets, but then also the added benefit of, of being able to reduce your, your airflow as well to reduce your dry time too is such a, is such a bonus. I always, I notice when I'm out running and um, I'll run by people's houses and I'll smell like dryer sheets, freshening sheets. And I really yes. think a lot about if this is so strong that it can be out in the air on the streets so that people walking by can smell it, how good can it really be for our bodies? It's it's really bad. It's uh, the One of the things that I learned was that dryer sheets uh, were considered to be one of the most toxic household cleaning products in your home. And it's because they do contain a long list of toxic and dangerous chemicals that are linked to uh, respiratory problems, skin irritations, and then just other health problems. And then also because these dryer sheets, they're designed, the the chemicals in them are designed to stay within your clothes and release slowly over a period of time so you're always going to be inhaling them and then they're always against your skin as well and so all these things are just linked to so many different harmful things for your bodies and of course for the environment as well and so it is just time to to really make that change. I would assume that if this these are uh, releasing some sort of chemicals, then the next time you put your clothes in the washing machine, then these chemicals could get leached into the water that then goes back out into the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it just kind of sticks around in so many different ways and, and lingers and, and does become a, a, a significant problem. You became interested in this uh, because you had at the time an infant son. Mm -hmm. Your son is now seven and your company is now six. Yes. So tell me how you got to that place. Well, when I became pregnant, I think as many uh, new-to-be mothers uh, experience, we want to make sure our home is the most safe environment to welcome in this newborn child. 
And so looking around the household and the different chemicals and things that we had in there, the laundry room was one place that I really examined, and it was because we wanted to cloth diaper our son. And uh, reading a lot of information about that, you learn that you can't use dryer sheets or fabric softeners because they leave that coating on the diapers, leaving them inabsorbent, which is the exact opposite of what you would hope from a cloth diaper. And so that was one of those eye-opening uh, revelations and, and also just learning about the toxic chemicals that are within them that would eventually be kind of close to his skin as well was that turning point to seek out a natural alternative. You are fortunate in that you have a science background. Mm. So when you started looking into this, you actually had a, you know, a mental framework to work with. Yes. Tell, tell me about that. It's, uh, the scientists in me uh, loved the trial and error phase, even though it took months of trying to figure out how we were going to make our wool dryer balls so it was going to be super durable and high quality and using domestic products. Um, it was months of tweaking little things, being analytical, trying different phases, and, and that was that scientist in me that just... Uh, had a smile on her face the whole time just trying to come up with uh, uh, the technical uh, parts of creating something like that. Your training is in geology. It is. So one wouldn't necessarily make the leap from um, studying rocks and earth formations to creating a wool dryer ball product for the laundry. <laughs> Can you walk me through how you <laughs> <laughs> went from geology to this? I, I started in geology, and after graduating uh, university, I worked in that field for a while. And I think a w what a lot of people experience is, is burnout in that field. I, I traveled, I worked on a ship for four years and traveled the world. But it takes its toll, and uh, I wanted more of a grounding kind of experience. And... And I started to just phase out of that. Um, it was it was a exciting life, but challenging. And so, what the next phase of for me was um, looking into photography and doing something more creative. And that's when I ended up in Maine, going to the workshops here in Rockport. And um, after that, settling into a fine art background, uh, working in an art gallery, uh, just settling into the community here, uh, I realized that I wanted to create something of my own, start a business of my own. And so I just felt like the combination of my science background and creative background, even though I studied rocks, it's still that analytical mind, I think, um, kind of just melded into this perfect uh, foundation for an entrepreneur. Why did you study rocks in the first place? <laughs> I, I, I still find it fascinating. I think it's, I think it's one of those sciences that gets overlooked sometimes, but um, to be out in the middle of the ocean and drilling down into the seafloor hundreds of meters down and bringing up these things that people have never seen before, but that tell a story of what happened decades ago it's it's phenomenal like it's it was uh, just a, a mystery uh, uh, unraveling mysteries all the time which was really neat was there a moment when you were a child that you said I'm gonna go study rocks I have, I'm, I'm sure my mother could tell you that I had a rock collection and was fascinated just by the 
by these objects. Um, but other than that, though, I think it was more of a curiosity when I when you're kind of going through and looking at the course catalogs for universities and trying to decide. I, I it just there was some there was a spark when I kept reading about geology and the different courses and studying about all the different aspects of it. It was really fascinating. I often wonder about um, the interest that we have as children and how it, because some of these fields that we go into, maybe it's geology or maybe it's another type of science, they have very specific occupational paths mm. that we don't really realize, oh, if, even if you love rocks and you love studying rocks, you may not be able to find a job that's going to continue that interest. Right. You may have a very different sort of job. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that's more of a statement really than a question. I mean, it, it seems like things that we start getting interested in when we're younger, um, we don't always, we're not always able to continue that passion. I, I agree. Um, I think for me, uh, one of the things that uh, never inhibited me was where it was going to be. I think a lot of my friends, people who graduated the course, wanted to stay in that area and so they tried to find something in that area maybe wasn't it didn't work out kind of thing but for me I when I looked for a job it was where in the world could it be and I think if you kind of have that more of an open perspective you can find those things that you're really really wanting to do so as I'm as we're talking I'm I'm interested as to whether the fact that you traveled and the, track that the fact that you were on a ship and you were out there actually looking at what was happening to the environment, if that contributed to your desire to do something that would actually make a practical impact, on a positive impact on the environment. I definitely think so. I think that that's always been an underlying uh, course within my life is uh, just knowing and seeing what the effects on different things that we put in the environment are on different cultures, different places. It's it's really incredible and knowing that we have this great big responsibility to take care of it and to improve it and to try to tread as lightly as we can as well. Um, I definitely think that that's a driving force in the business and, 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 and in the vision of what we're, what I'm trying to accomplish, what the business is trying to, trying to do. Did you have a strong um, sense of environmental responsibility when you were younger? I grew up on a farm, and um, I think that I just had a greater respect for a lot of things, where our food came from, uh, growing and cooking and canning our own, like just everything was, was kind of done right there in a sense. And so... I think that that's a good background to it, even though I wouldn't say that we recycled and composted like 40 years ago, but uh, but still, I think that seeing that cycle of life on a farm and the contained environment, in a sense, in this in a small rural community, I think it kind of helps with, with uh, having a strong sense of that bigger picture and being able to be s sustainable. Well, it is, if you think about it, the, the fact that you chose something that is so practical, mm. it really kind of goes along with that idea that, that this is, you're trying to be self-sufficient, you're trying to do something for yourself, and we all have to do laundry. Right. I mean, I assume. <laughs> I, I have to do my own laundry. Yes. I'm assuming that most people <laughs> who are listening have to do their own laundry. So you're, you're looking at something that's very um, 
Well, you used the word before. It's very foundational. Mm-hmm. It's something that you can do and feel good about. And, right. Um, you're doing it for yourself. Right, right. I think that that's one of those things. Like, I, I, I know a lot of people will probably question why they're making or doing a certain thing in their business. But for me, it's always, it makes so much sense where it is just that practical but also sustainable uh, portion of what people can incorporate in their everyday. And so I think even though it's such a sim- simple product in a sense, it just has, a, to me, a bigger, a bigger presence, a bigger meaning behind it. I've been surprised in talking to people about um, your product and about you and the fact that you are coming in to record the radio show and how many people actually are aware of your product, are using it in their homes. Um, it's not just people who have environment, a specific environmental mindset. It's really there's a broad variety of people who have started to use the bull balls that you're putting out there. Yes, it really is amazing because people will gravitate towards them for various reasons. Like you said, it could be an environmental drive that, yes, I want to make that change in my laundry. But then a, a lot of times people will come up to me and just say, we've had such bad skin irritants, eczema, different problems. We can't use the long the long list of products with any kind of fragrances or anything like that but when we found your product it was something that could help us in our laundry but knowing full well that we could still uh, not be worried about the effects of all these other things that are in their dryer sheets and um, and then with kids and families like it's it's, it's goes together so well with cloth diapers so I know like a lot of that's where I connected initially when I got into the market it was the cloth diapering moms and the families and the stores in that respect and that's how I got started as well so I just it's it's interesting how and when people gravitate towards them and and learn about them and understand them and start to use them. You've been awarded um, actually several different things you are the recipient of an MTI seed grant award a Spanx by Sarah Blakely Leg Up Promotion Award, and you've recently been selected as the Small Business Association's 2014 Home-Based Business Champion for Maine and New England. And from what I understand, just recently your um, presence in Eileen Fisher stores has expanded dramatically. It you, has. You also got some sort of an entrepreneurial award several years ago from Eileen Fisher. So what do you think it is about this very, well, innovative but simple product that is capturing people's interest? I, I think that's just what it is. I think it, it's so simple that, like we said, that everybody does laundry or has their laundry done for them, that they can relate to that in so many different ways. And I think that this small thing making this bigger impact, people are realizing it and and acknowledging it and accepting it as well. Uh, when we started out a number of years ago, I, I the learning curve was a little bit tougher and so you know this product even I would put it in people's hands, explain it to them and they're looking at me and looking at the product and they're like I I don't get it. <laughs> you know, could you tell me one more time? And so now that I think it's just more of a a global acceptance about these natural alternatives that exist out there, I think that just something something like this is just being being recognized as as that little thing that makes that big impact. 
I've been using, um, well, before I got the Woohoo balls, which I've now been using successfully for months now, um, I was using seventh generation unscented dryer products. I use pretty much seventh generation across the board. Mm -hmm. But I mean, they're still dryer sheets. Mm -hmm. They're still, they still have stuff on them. Right. And I appreciate that seventh generation and other companies are trying to minimize the chemicals that are out there. And some of them have been very successfully done this. But it still seems like it's kind of, if you can make that next step, mm -hmm. then it's probably a good idea. Yes, absolutely. Especially for something that's reusable as well. Like there are many brands like seventh generation that do have better chemicals in them. They might be more easily biodegradable. Some of the other ones are still living in our landfills hundreds of years after we're gone. So to have this product where you can reuse it, you can reuse it for hundreds and hundreds of loads and so that aspect of it too I think is is just uh, uh, another benefit where it's not this take one out throw it away kind of kind of product and I think that that people are really thinking about that that as well I, I think about because um, you're talking about reusing I think about when I was younger reading something I don't know it was like ladies home journal or something it was like 10 uses for your used dryer sheet and one was <laughs> rub it over your cat so that you can pull the, <laughs> the leftover fur and he won't shed all over the floor. And now as we're talking, I'm like horrified that that was even Poor a kitty. <laughs> exactly. But, but you're right. I mean, it's we don't like the fact that this is a one-time use thing with mm -hmm. these dryer sheets. And yours is something that you can use over and over again. You can hang on to them for a long time. Yeah. And I'm horrified. I don't even know, like, how did we even get to the place where we thought that doing some of these things right. with these chemical covered was okay yeah, yeah how is that 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 happened i, I don't, don't know, know. <laughs> um but that's a tangent so um so i'm interested in you know you've so you have the science background you obviously did the experimentation you have a fine arts background you're up in rockport originally because of your photography mm -hmm. um and then there's this very strong business sense that you have. And I'm guessing that over the last six years, you've done a lot of on the ground stuff. You've probably been everything. You've been the one who's demonstrating the product. You've been doing the outreach. Um, you've been doing the sales. You've been doing the books. So how have you developed as a business person and just as a human being in the last <laughs> six years? It's been an incredible journey. I think that this is as much as I've traveled and experienced so many different things uh, in my geology career, I think that this job has allowed me to grow in so many different ways. Um, just being able to balance all those hats that you do have to wear is an incredible task. And I'm very self-disciplined and I can put my head down and do those things that need to be done even though Friday afternoon I don't want to work on my books, I will, because I know that it'll benefit the whole big picture. Um, but it, it really has helped me grow. I, I never knew I liked sales before, but I absolutely love it. And it, it's just one of those things where I have no problem with rejection. <laughs> so you know that you are going to get a lot of no's before you get the yeses, but you have to keep working at it. And in order for this to succeed, I know that I have to just do all those different things. Um, and so that's why I, I keep at it. I, it's, it's interesting. Like I, I, some other people came up to me and asked, uh, you know, what, what were your days like? Is this something that I could do? 
and uh, explaining how isolating it can be where I'm basically working by myself a lot of times even though I'm connecting with people all the time on email or on the phone but it's it's a self-driving discipline and and it's one that it takes practice to learn Um, time management is another thing that I've really feel strongly about that I've (laughs) that I feel like I've learned to love as well because I know that if I just spend all day on marketing then other things are not going to get done and so if I divide things up and and look at my week as as a whole look at the year and in the bigger sense and the bigger picture that that I'm able to to put my head down and do it is um what does your husband do for work he is a carpenter um and right now he switched over to being a ups driver and he also helps me with the business quite a bit too so how do you balance um this very up and coming and i'm, I'm guessing increasingly um time consuming fun mm-hmm. time consuming business with raising co-raising your seven-year-old son and his the things that he does and just being a couple and living <laughs> in the world and that sort of thing it's tough it's it's a tough balance but it's one that um i again i think it's that discipline of time management where on the weekends um i don't check my email as much or i don't get back to people until monday morning long after i've done a number of other things um but definitely just dedicating and isolating time to be there as the bus pulls up and you know, feed my son a healthy snack as he gets home from school and connect with him instead of trying to uh, answer a couple more emails and just get another order kind of packed and ready to go. And so I, I know that we have this one precious little bean that is growing up so fast that you know we have to spend those hours with and that time with in order to just to to develop a strong family unit and and I know that my business requires my time as well but it's again it's a different hat and it's funny sometimes if I do have to go up and do something business related on the weekends or something like that I have to tell them explain to them what's happening because I need that isolated time and I think like just as long as I keep having that separate that that helps instill a balance I guess into family and work life. Having spoken to many people over the last six years of doing the radio show because our businesses are about the same age uh, one of the things that I love is when people can take a cause and and kind of instill it with love and Mm. move away from fear Mm. so your product is a way that people can do something and feel good and it's not that they're moving away I mean there's a realization Mm -hmm. that there's bad stuff and you're moving away from something that's kind of on the bad side but really you're moving towards something that's good How do you do this with your son as you're trying to Mm. raise him to be a socially and environmentally aware child in the world? Well I I think that that is such an important thing and just starting with the business um, initially I think people were trying to encourage me to market in that negative form where these things are bad so do this and it never made sense to me and it it wasn't going to work with the way that I wanted to run or grow a business Um, and so thinking about raising raising a seven-year-old I think it's always about 
I think explaining the whole thing and he's just a sponge right now and he'll the conversations it's amazing what we what we get into but then ex expressing how important it is to be this positive source this this example because even though he's seven he's an older in this classroom and he is a leader and for him to be watched by these younger kids he I, I think that he sees us doing it and, and being more environmentally aware and different things that we're doing on an everyday everyday scale and realizing why and how it's important to us but I think we're always communicating with him in every way verbal and nonverbal of all those things that are important to us and you see you see it that it's he realizes that 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 it's an important thing and and I think it'll be important to him as well why are they called luhu balls <laughs> uh, originally when the business started they were called woolly rounds and I had so many people come up to me and say hey I've heard of those woolly balls and that drove me crazy because <laughs> going from woolly rounds which I thought was a nice you know rounded name to woolly balls so <laughs> I knew that I needed to make a change and it was also uh, going around to um, trademarking the name when we looked at it it was too descriptive uh, it just wasn't gonna be we weren't gonna be able to trademark it and so it was I think early on about two years into the business maybe about a year and a half I started to look at different names and uh, at the time and they still are my sisters are kind of on my cheerleading squad of being the encouraging ones and being sounding boards to different ideas and of course I went to them and asked them I, I said I want want something fun what do you think we should call the business what, what do you think I should change the business name to and of course they said Luhu which was a nickname growing up I think anybody named Cindy in the last 50 years was called Cindy Luhu at one point in their life or another and of course at Christmas time I get more emails and calls about oh I was just watching the Grinch who stole Christmas and there's little Cindy Lou who and so when my sister suggested it I said absolutely not I don't want this nickname I never really liked associated with the business but then after kind of going through and uh, trying out all these other names that just didn't work Lou who was just fun and it and I like the connection that it does have with with me childhood me and and uh, yeah it and it just worked all the O's in the name as well and so it it evolved into Luhu and and that's what it is today and I I felt like it was maybe a, a brand that we could uh, incorporate more products within as well as opposed to woolly rounds what else could you kind of put under the umbrella of woolly rounds so so that's how Luhu was formed. <laughs> We will put information about Lulu on our uh, show notes page. I encourage people to actually consider and probably buy a few sets of Lulu wool dryer balls. I've really enjoyed mine, honestly. There's, it's a funny little pleasure that I that I get out of this every single time I do laundry. That's great. And I appreciate uh, your coming in, spending time with me, and talking about your process and the work that you're doing in your little corner of the world up in Camden. I appreciate also the time that your husband Scott has uh, put into the business and that your son Graham has also put into the business indirectly. <laughs> I've been speaking with Cindy Prince who is the founder of Luhu Incor LLC, a Maine-based company that makes and sells Luhu wool dryer balls. 
Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 274, Maine Suds. Our guests have included Fred Forsley and Cindy Prince. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Main Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love Main Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belayo. I hope that you have enjoyed our Main Suds show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Berlin City Honda, The Rooms by Harding Lee Smith, Maine Magazine, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Paul Koenig. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Lisa Belisle. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.